Would you stand for the reading from Matthew chapter 16, my friends, Matthew 16. You'll find it on page 822 in the Pew Bibles, Matthew 16, and we are looking at verses 24 to 28 this morning in our series, Seven Days to Revitalize Your Life, as we look at how Jesus calls us to follow Him in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 16, and beginning at verse 24. Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? And forfeits his life? Or what should a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Do please sit down, my friends, and let me uh, offer a a hearty good morning and welcome to you. And as I say, this is continuing our series in seven days to revitalize your life, looking at Jesus's call to follow Him in Matthew's Gospel. We've got to number six. Uh, we have one more to follow, one more to come next, next week, uh, number seven. And this one is particularly significant, uh, as, uh, as you will see. Last week's was very significant, and I was passionate about that. In fact, perhaps, was I loud last week? Um, so, I, I, it's, you know, I'm fine. I'm not, you know, uh, thank you for your concern. Um, but I am fine, and uh, I, it's sometimes it's hard to know in this building exactly how loud you are. There are interesting acoustic dynamics, and, uh, and I was just passionate about that message. I care for you, and when I think about rest, uh, I think about my own life and the burdens I carry, but I look as a pastor, and I know that many of us carry burdens. I'm, I was longing to see those Uh, alleviated. I hope you found that. Well, we come this morning to uh, this, as I say, the sixth of uh, seven in uh, our series. And uh, Jesus here is returning to one of the most important teachings that he gives in the Gospels. I think it's the one of the most important teachings because it is the most repeated. And we've already looked at one uh, version of it. It occurs twice in Matthew's Gospel. And uh, it occurs in each of the other Gospels as well. This time, Jesus is talking about denying yourself and taking up your cross in a particular context. And what he's doing here is, I think, in that first verse that expresses that teaching again, he is then explaining why that is a good thing. So you have this teaching in verse uh, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, right? 
And then Jesus, in each of the succeeding verses, now there's a common theme to them, which is about life and fulfillment, the fullness of life now and in the next life. That's the common theme, and hence the word for today, fulfillment. So there's a common theme, but in each of the succeeding verses, 25, 26, 27, 28, Jesus is explaining, uh, he, he is making his case for why it is that to deny yourself for him is, is what is required to follow him, and why that is good, why that's not a downer, why that's fulfillment, why that's going to lead to rejoicing. And it is such an important teaching. You can see it is in the context here. Right beforehand, Peter has basically told Jesus not to teach this, you see. And, and, and Jesus uh, um, says that resisting him himself going to the cross and us following him in, in that pattern is the very opposite to what he wants, even... Um, False religion, satanic religion. And so it's intriguing to me when I think of this teaching of Jesus's and then his explanation as he makes the case in this passage for why that is good to deny yourself for Jesus. It's intriguing to me as I thought about it this week how much this is not only then but also now the very reverse of what most people think religion is all about. If you had to ask yourself what most religious teachers today will say is uh, the uh, way to find fulfillment, my suspicion is they would probably say something more like Peter than like Jesus. In other words, they would tend to say, yeah, you can follow Jesus without any cost. Or, or if there is a cost, I'm going to minimize that. But Jesus doesn't do that. He elevates the cross, the cost, but not as a, not as a downer, not as a negative, as the way to find life. And it is the very reverse of what most people will tell you today. I was thinking rather whimsically that it would be fun to uh, construct, instead of the Westminster Catechism, the famous catechism from many years ago about the, the, uh, the central teachings of Christianity, instead of that, to construct a catechism for the positive thinking age. And I, I thought to myself, what would be a good, a good name for such a catechism, not Westminster? Perhaps we should call it the Best Winner Catechism or something, you see. And perhaps you know the famous question that begins uh, the Westminster Catechism. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, the two are connected what, what would the best winner catechism say? <laughs> the chief end of man is to find yourself 
and enjoy him or her forever. What do you really want, you see? What is the inner person within saying? And how do you construct, let me help you construct a dream or a vision or a goal around your desires, and then let me baptize them with a religious terminology. But actually, that's, that's not a kind thing. It's a cruel thing. Because really, if Jesus is right, then as we elevate the cross in the preaching of the gospel and in those who follow Jesus, that's the way to find fulfillment. Now, let's look at Jesus making his case here to see whether that is indeed uh, accurate. And so let's look down then at the Bibles, and you'll see the first uh, verse 24, and then uh, you'll see that uh, following from that verse is uh, verse, unsurprisingly, 25. And in verse 25 comes the uh, first reason that Jesus gives. So, And let me summarize it like this. I think what Jesus is saying here is denying yourself for Jesus is good. That's the theme today. Here's the first reason. Because, in verse 25... This is the way life works because, because this is the way life works, this is a, also a spiritual principle. So he says, doesn't he, for whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, this is actually how life works. And then, look, it's a spiritual principle too. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he says, is that actually how life works? Well, uh, generally speaking, uh, yes. You can lose yourself in a book. Some of us do that more than others. You can lose yourself in a movie. You can lose yourself in an adventure. You can lose yourself in a goal or vision for the future. You can lose yourself in serving other people. You can lose yourself in love. And these all have in common a general principle that the way to, lo- the way to find yourself is to lose yourself in, in a higher goal. So it seems to me that there is a basic general principle that goes like this. The more fixated you are on yourself, the less happy you are likely to be. Or to put it another way, the self is only happy when it is not thinking about the self. What does Jesus say? For whoever would save his life will lose it. And the reverse is true. And we know this is the case in various specific examples like great music. It gives away to us. The greatest generation that fought in World War II, they're so called because they gave their lives for a higher purpose. But not only is this generally true, of course, the point is it's a spiritual principle. So Jesus says, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Why is that the case? Well, first comes grace, the cross for us. Then comes graciousness, the cross for others. I was sent a handwritten letter uh, a couple of weeks ago by someone who expressed how 
Someone else had helped him, nurtured him, and encouraged him. And that was good to hear. But what was striking in this context to hear was that the conclusion that this person took from having received that was that now he was going to live that way. Sometimes, uh, perhaps you know, the New Testament church was called the church that turned the world upside down. H- how does that happen? How, how does a church like, like this one, like, like college church, any church, have that kind of world-changing impact? First, reverse the priority of self. Uh, Charles Simeon is one of my heroes, and I was uh, studying him a little bit with some friends this week, and so he's on my mind, and I'm going to refer to him a few times this morning. Charles Simeon ministered for many years at Holy Trinity in Cambridge against great opposition, so extreme that in those days there were people who owned the pews and had a key to the door that would let you in the pew, and they locked the pews you see, so that people had to stand in the aisles to hear him preach. And he was there for 40 years plus. And Simeon one time said this, there are only two lessons that a Christian must learn. The one is to enjoy God in everything. The other is to enjoy everything in God. not the self, him. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the way to find fulfillment and joy. Second reason, verse 26. Now, this was a surprise to me when I studied it, but I I think I've got it right. I think. Verse 26 says, this is the second reason, for, again, each of these is introduced with a qualifying phrase, for, or the last verse, truly. So here, for, making um, the case that what Jesus is teaching, that denying yourself for his sake is good. So the second reason, verse 26, for what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what should a man give in return for his life? Now this was a surprise to me when I looked at it, but it seems clear that what Jesus is saying is that denying yourself for him is good because it makes Good business sense. Obviously, the word profit is a business word. But also, actually, the word return in the second half of the verse is a business word too. It's for making a deal, an exchange and a deal. What do you get in return, you see? So Jesus here is explaining denying yourself for him is good in the terms of a business transaction. He's addressing the practical man of the world who may think that saying it's a spiritual principle is all very well, but what about the real world? What about money? What about the survival of the fittest? How am I going to provide for my family? That kind of question. Jesus now explains it in terms of business. Profit is a business transaction word, so is the word return. And Jesus is saying, if you're used to thinking about life in terms of what's in it for my clients, or what's the upside of this deal, 
then in those terms, denying yourself for his sake makes sense too. Now, why? Well, Jesus very simply explains that that's because which businessman will make a deal whereby they give up their life, even if that meant their company became the next Google, you see? Who would do that? What kind of deal could possibly be worth making if the result, the exchange, the return is that you lose your life? No one would make that kind of deal. And Jesus is saying, that's the choice. Uh, Jonathan Aiken was a British member of parliament until 1999 when he was sent to jail for various uh, matters. And while in prison, Jonathan Aiken became a follower of Jesus. And he's uh, written a biography of, uh, of John Newton called From Disgrace to Amazing Grace. When you and I look at people who are on the forefront of succeeding in their career, whether a senator or a member of parliament or a high-end business leader, it's easy for us to think that we would do anything to get there, whatever it takes. And Jesus saying such thinking makes no sense even from a business point of view. He is saying, would you deny yourself for him? Why is that good? Because the alternative is a terrible deal, losing your life. See, look, look at the third reason then. This is verse 27. Not only then a spiritual principle, not only does it make good business sense, but as it were following on from this theme about life here and life forever, verse 27, uh, Jesus is saying here, I think, that denying yourself for his sake is good because it gives end time or eschatological or last days assurance. So look at verse 27 with me, if you will, my friends. He says, for, again, here's another reason, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So what is Jesus saying here, my friends? Well, he is telling us that to deny ourselves for his sake makes sense because of what will happen when he comes to judge the world. My friends, Jesus will return to judge. It's so easy, isn't it? And I find this myself, and I'm sure you do too. But it's so easy for us to think of the second coming like a sort of fantasy story, isn't it? You know, the return of Jesus like the return of the Jedi. It's just uh, mythical. We, we can't conceptualize it as a factual event. Now, we're not told when he will return in the Bible. We're just told that he will. And we're told that when he returns, he will return to judge. That is, he will not come in poverty or in a stable like the first coming, but now in the glory of his Father. Uh, we're told that his return will be surprising. It'll be when we don't expect it. And therefore, we should be ready. 
His return will be as surprising as those who said the Titanic would never sink. Or, to use biblical language, the flood would never come. Or, to use scientific language, that quantum mechanics is impossible because God does not play dice. Or again, in biblical uh, picture language, it's like a thief that you never expect to arrive until he does. Or like a delayed bride who suddenly arrives after a long, long wait when all the guests have begun to snooze. And when you're least expecting, there she is walking down the aisle and you better not be sleeping when she does. The Son of Man, the promised God-man figure from Daniel, has arrived in Jesus, first time, to everyone's great surprise, and he'll come again in glory and will repay each according to what he has done. Now, what does, what does Jesus mean by that? Is that now legalism? He will repay us according to what we have done? No, it is not. What it means is this. His judgment will be according to what we have done, But what we have done, we know from the rest of the Bible, is based upon what God has done in us. So the Word of God, the grace of God, the Holy Spirit changing our hard hearts, the seed of the gospel is sown, and that then bears fruit. And when Jesus returns, he's saying he's going to taste the fruit. That is, he'll judge according to what we've done, the fruit in our lives. And in judging by what we have done, he he gets all the glory, the glory of his Father. He's really just tasting the fruit. That is, he's tasting the results of grace, God's sovereign grace in our lives. That's why he gets all the glory and we don't. For all our works are only the fruit of Christ's work in us. So it's not legalism, it's fruit from grace. Nonetheless, of course, (laughs) this is a very high motivation for us to deny ourselves for Jesus and to realize that's good. Why? Because when we do, when there's a choice laid before us between what we want in our sinful desires and what Jesus clearly says in His Word, and we choose what Jesus says in His Word, when we do that, you and I, we can look at that and say, oh, fruit, this is a sign that I really am a Christian, that, that I'm one of His sheep, that I'm, I'm going to heaven. This is This is evidence. It assures me of my relationship with God. It is eschatological assurance. Assurance for when He returns. And that's why I think Jesus is saying it's good. It brings us, it truly brings us uh, assurance. Again, let me illustrate this from the life of Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was quite a character. He, he, He liked to have fun. And one time the story goes about Charles Simeon that he made a bet with a friend of his about who could dress most outrageously one year in Cambridge, you see. And uh, Simeon won the bet. And he won the bet in a way that wouldn't seem outrageous to, to us but was to them 
by carrying an umbrella. And umbrellas were unusual at the time. Uh, in fact, if you go to Holy Trinity in Cambridge, you can still see the umbrella above the vestry. There it is. It would have been like, you know, a minister turning up with inline skates or something like that. It, it was unusual. So he was quite a character. But he lived this life of self-denial. And what that meant was that uh, as he lay dying, a friend asked him what he was thinking about. And he said, I'm not thinking. I am enjoying. You want that? Denying yourself for Jesus is good. Fourth and final reason, in some ways the most surprising reason for denying yourself for Jesus, is found in the last verse we're looking at this morning. And it's in some ways the most complex verse to interpret, so we need a little bit of time on it. Uh, Jesus says here, truly I say to you, so he's concluding with his reasons for denying yourself for him, summarizing and then emphasizing the final point. Truly I say to you, one of his characteristic Um, ways of emphasizing teaching. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now, what is Jesus saying here? At first glance, it probably seems pretty obvious, but actually when you think about it, it really isn't. Uh, People have uh, then said, that, well, this is about the second coming of Jesus's. This, this enigmatic statement here is following on from the previous verse, and this is about the second coming again. Jesus is just repeating himself in a different way. And that is, of course, possible. But then if this is about the second coming of Jesus, the natural question that many people have asked is, well, was then Jesus wrong about the timing of his second coming uh, because he says there are some who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom and well everyone who was standing there literally has tasted death and he has not yet returned you see. So uh, then others have wondered if, if it's not about the second coming of Jesus that kind of coming what is it about what is then Jesus referring to? And so they've wondered whether verse 28 is about the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. So the Roman garrisons came and destroyed Jerusalem in this, in this world-changing, in the sense of worldview for the Israelites. Jerusalem was destroyed in A.D. 70. And they said, well, Jesus is referring to this um, cataclysmic spiritual tsunami for the Israelite people, the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And so that's possible, but then others have said, well, but the language he's using here, the Son of Man coming in his kingdom, I mean, is that really appropriately reference to Roman garrisons destroying Jerusalem? Uh, And so they have asked that question, and others then have found The answer that it's about the fall of Jerusalem, unpersuasive. Well, then others too have come up with different options. And the other option that is fairly common is to say that this verse 
does not have a specific reference, that we shouldn't look at this language and say that Jesus is referring to a specific event, so much as referring more generally speaking to the growth of the church that took place in the early chapters of Acts, that sense of the kingdom expanding. And so they said, that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying some here will not taste death until they see the church go from Jerusalem all the way to Rome, the center of the empire, this church that turned the world upside down. But then once more, others have looked at that and said, well, okay, but is this language that Jesus is using here, the Son of Man coming in His kingdom, is that really about good church growth, even, even in the Acts of the Apostles' sense? And so some have been persuaded by that answer, others have not. Well, you probably want to know what I think, I, I suppose, or if you don't, you can leave. I mean, you know, I guess you want to know what I think. Uh, and you'll have your own view. But my view is that verse 28 is referring to what comes right afterwards in chapter 17 and also right afterwards in Mark's gospel. That is what is usually known as the transfiguration. So after six days, Jesus took him with Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and went up to a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured uh, in front of them. I think it's referring to the transfiguration as long as, <laughs> as long as you understand the transfiguration as referring to Jesus coming in his kingdom at the cross and his resurrection. So what I think he's saying is some will see a precursor of this in a moment and then he will come to die and rise again, and his first coming will be established at that moment, if you, if you see what I mean. Jesus, I think, is saying that there are some who will see him come in power, Mark's language, revealed in his kingdom, which will be accomplished at the cross, and that kingdom then expand through the preaching of the gospel. I, I think that's what's going on. That's my best attempt. If that is right, the fourth reason here where I think, remember there are, Jesus is saying, deny yourself for his sake. That's not a downer. That's a good thing. That's something to rejoice about. You should be happy going out of church because it's been preached to deny yourself, not down. Why is that? Four reasons. Here's the fourth Fourth reason why I think Jesus is saying deny yourself for him is good is because it allows you, you, to see the king and his kingdom now. Not in the final return, but in the sense of his first coming. In other words, I think Jesus is saying there is a connection between insight into him, seeing him, a connection between insight into him, insight into the Bible, the church, the kingdom, effectiveness in that kingdom, seeing that 
a connection between all that and denying yourself for Jesus. What a motivation! No cross, no crown. No guts, no glory. No risk, no reward. No denying yourself for Jesus, taking up your cross. No resurrection power in the kingdom. The more we keep our eyes on ourselves in a selfish sense, the less we'll see of Jesus in his kingdom. The more we take our eyes off ourselves, the more likely we are to see the king and his kingdom expand. You see, don't you think that's the way that things so often work in Christian circles today? Why is it that so many of us, and I include myself here, so many of us seem to have, relatively speaking, when we compare it to Christians who've gone before us or stories of people longing for Jesus, getting up early to pray, staying up late to evangelize, why is it that we have so little, relatively speaking, interest and passion in Jesus and the kingdom? I think it's because we've bought into a Peter-like, at this stage in his development, message about religion. that You can have all of that without the cross, and you cannot. I think that's why. That's why repentance is a key to joy and insight. It's because we're not denying ourselves. Uh, Charles uh, Simeon is, as I said, being on my mind a lot this week, and so I, I'm telling stories about him because I think he illustrates the message here very well. And Charles Simeon was known by his friends to have a little bit of a bad temper. And one time he was at a friend's house, and Simeon got frustrated with a servant who was not laying a fire well. He was not building a fire in a fireplace well. And Simeon got so frustrated, he actually slapped the servant. He left, but before he left, his friend slipped a little note in Simeon's bag, anonymously written from John Softly, (laughs) to rebuke Simeon. Simeon responded to his friend, to John uh, Softly from Charles, Charles Simeon, proud and irritable. I thank you for your most timely, kind and seasoned reproof. Seems to me that the more we can learn from that kind of example, from the teaching of Jesus, quick to repent, to deny ourselves for it is good, the more life, joy, and seeing the king and his kingdom we will find. That's why all revival begins with repentance. And that's why there's silence in the room now.
Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we do thank you for the kind and seasoned words of Jesus. Help us not to believe the lie that the cross is a bad idea, but to see the king and his kingdom and to realize that it is the path to joy. Father, we're about to sing a song as we close that is all about joy. I pray, Father, that in this moment of silence now, we would once again, perhaps, or for the first time, take up our cross, deny ourselves, And as we do, see the king and his kingdom, find joy, fulfillment, life. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.